This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, it's Amy McDonald's here. Welcome to this edition of the Arsenal Audio Programme. Arsenal versus Crystal Palace, Monday, 18th of October 2021. Kickoff 8 pm. The contents Official Voice Around Arsenal. Player feature Sambia Lakonga. Sustainability. Community Voice. Foundation Voice. Academy Young Gun. Around the Academy. History. Arsenal Women Visitors Crystal Palace Match Action Arsenal vs Tottenham Hotspur Match Action Brighton and Hove Albion vs Arsenal Supporters Voice and Teams Official Voice Brendan Batson Every issue we hear exclusively from significant figures at the club on our official voice pages of the programme. This issue, we hear from the first black player to represent the Gunners, Brendan Batson, who made his debut nearly 50 years ago. When I look back on my experiences with Arsenal, the club was fantastic to me. It was a great place to grow up at in my formative years, where I was taking my first steps into the professional ranks. Bertie Mee was the manager when I was coming through at Arsenal, and he was an exceptional individual. You had people like Don Howe, Steve Burtonshaw and later on Dave Smith. I remember my debut being a bit of a shock. It was away at Newcastle and, at the time, the way Bertie Mee and his coaching staff would introduce young players into the first team would see us travel with the squad to experience the feeling of what that was like. I remember coming on for Charlie George just after half-time as Charlie was feeling unwell. It was a miserable day in the North East and the game went by like a flash. There was a clash between Malcolm McDonald and Alan Ball, which was really interesting. The difference in volume when they had a shouting match was quite memorable. My appearance in that match saw me become the first black player to represent Arsenal's first team, although that wasn't something I actually knew until many years after I retired. It wasn't of any great significance to me at the time, and I still feel a little bit indifferent towards it now, if I'm honest. I was just trying to make my way and colour didn't come into it. I came to England when I was nine years old. It was then that I started to experience racism 
It was just something the black community grew up with. Once I was in the professional ranks, the volume of racist abuse increased depending on how many people you were playing in front of. It wasn't anything new to me though because I'd experienced it as a schoolboy growing up. I got it from the opposition when I played as a schoolboy. One of the good things in the professional ranks that it was almost unheard of that you'd get racist abuse from opponents. It happened occasionally, but it was very seldom. That was one of the positives about playing professionally. At schoolboy level, it was something you experienced on a game-by-game basis, and in everyday life too. I'd often have people, even children, shouting racist abuse at me from car windows. I remember an incident on the London Underground, where my partner and I were being abused. What was good was that a lot of people came to our aid. There's always been more good than bad in society in that respect. I grew up at a time where there were few black players in the game. When I went to West Bromwich Albion, I joined Laurie Cunningham and Cyril Regis, and we played together for 15 months before Laurie went to Real Madrid. At the time, we knew we'd get a lot of headlines, because West Brom were the first team to consistently play three black players in the first team. When I stopped playing and reflected on my career, you realise that the black community were really proud of what we did at West Brom. We just wanted to be known as players. I can't remember anyone referring to Pele as a black player. He was just Brazilian, and Eusebio was just Portuguese. What used to drive me mad on these shores would be the headlines like Black Flash or Black Pearl, when somebody had played well. It was always about the colour, rather than the player. In my opinion, the real seminal moment was Viv Anderson winning his first senior England cap in 1978. It's important to remember that Viv was selected because he was the best player in his position and not because he was black. After that, more black players came to the fore. There was that Arsenal team with Paul Davis, Rocky Rowcastle and Mickey Thomas as the fulcrum of it and that was absolutely fantastic. When I was growing up, there was a whispering campaign about black players. People would say not to go near us. They said we were lazy, we couldn't tackle, we wouldn't work hard. It was nonsense based on pure ignorance. To see the engine room of a team like Arsenal, dominated by three black players, was a wonderful sight. To this day, Arsenal still have one of the most ethnically diverse fan groups around, and I believe a big part of that is down to those three players. In the end, it became the norm rather than the exception. Success on the pitch has been a key vehicle of progress. The visibility of seeing black players thriving has had a huge impact. If you can't see it, you can't aspire to become it. Black children playing football in the park were given role models and I think that opened their eyes up to realising that they could make it in the game. I feel Kick It Out had a big impact as well. Lord Osley and the PFA got together and took on his idea. We need to remember it's not just about black players. It's about players from every background. You've got people in the modern age, like Jordan Henderson, who has really stepped up in support of Black Lives Matter. Players are much more confident in addressing social issues. In the past, we didn't have that platform or the encouragement. I was told recently that 40% of all Arsenal debutants in the Premier League era are of black origin. It's an interesting stat, and when you see something like that, you realise how far we've come from the days of black players being very much a minority. It's certainly progressive, but we've still got a lot of work to do.
The outpouring of love we saw after the Euro 2020 final was fantastic. Good always triumphs bad, particularly in this debate. Bukayo Saka seems to have come out of it without losing his confidence on the pitch, and I'm sure that's in part because of the love and support he's received from the club and Arsenal supporters, as well as his family members. Players have a lot of power and strength attached to their platform now. It's amazing to see the likes of Marcus Rashford and Raheem Sterling using that platform for good. Rashford came from that background, where his mum was struggling to put food on the table, as is the case for a lot of families. He's using his profile for the good of everyone. He's a fantastic ambassador, not just for his club, but also for his family and his community. It's the same with Sterling. They're using their profile for the good of the game and for the good of society. What needs to happen next? Other areas of the game need to become more inclusive. For example, in coaching, management and positions on the board, plus within football clubs as a whole. We've got to see diversity in action and we need to get across to the black community that a football club can be a potential employer. It's a two-way thing because members of the black community could look at it and think they can't get a job at a club because they don't see anyone who looks like them. The clubs have a lot of work to do in general when it comes to attracting a more diverse workforce. I've seen some of the data, and diversity in some areas is still almost non-existent. The game's done really well in developing and becoming more inclusive, and black players have no doubt played their part in that, but there's still a long way to go. Around Arsenal Black History Month In March next year, Arsenal Football Club will celebrate 50 years since Brendan Batson made his debut for the Arsenal first team, in so doing, becoming our first black footballer. Brendan speaks about his role as a trailblazer in the official word feature in tonight's issue. Since that day on February the 11th, 1972, the influence of black footballers at this football club has been remarkable. George Graham's title-winning teams were inspired by David Rowcastle, Paul Davis, Michael Thomas and Kevin Campbell. Ian Wright's arrival then witnessed cup success at home and abroad before he became part of the Wenger era, which was defined by the world-class qualities of Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, Sol Campbell, Ashley Cole, Gilberto, Laurent, Calature, and many more. Achieving the ultimate, they were the very core of the Invincibles. Through the Emirates years, we have watched more excellence from the likes of Emmanuel Adebayor, Abu Dhabi, Gael Clichy, Bakri Sagner, and Theo Walcott, until we reach the present day, a young team captained by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, featuring Nicolas Pepe, Gabriel, Thomas Partey, Alexandre Lacazette and Bukio Saka. And for every black player mentioned, we could substitute name after name after name. In fact, since the Premier League's inception in 1992, 40% of players making their debut for Arsenal have been black. We are a club built on the talents of these players and we will always celebrate what black footballers have enabled this club to achieve and what they mean to generations of fans. There is, of course, more to a football club than the players we see operating at first-team level, 
and we celebrate the many blank players in our academy. You can hear from one of them, Josh Robinson, in today's issue. Not forgetting Arsenal women, whose successes have been built on the shoulders of Rachel Yankee, Alex Scott, Leanne Sanderson, Anita Asante and Danielle Carter. And we celebrate our many blank staff members, in particular the fantastic work we are able to do in our community, both in terms of education around racism and the individual working in our numerous projects across North London. Our supporters' voice feature hears from one such participant. And lastly, importantly, we celebrate our blank supporters, of which we are proud to say there are many local supporters, global supporters, supporters who know they are part of a club who will always fight discrimination and celebrate diversity. Ref Watch. This evening's referee is Mike Dean from The Wirral. The 53-year-old, who has refereed in the Premier League since 2000, is taking charge of his first match involving us this season. He officiated two Arsenal matches last term, the 1-0 success at Old Trafford and our 2-0 away win at Newcastle United. Well done, Buren. Congratulations to Buren Kondo, who recently won a charity boxing match with a third-round TKO. Buren was fighting for Mind UK, and we're sure you'll agree his efforts to raise money were a knockout. Sands United, supporting Baby Loss Awareness Week. We were proud to support the Baby Loss Awareness Week wave of light which took place on Friday. The loss of a baby can happen to anyone, with one in 14 pregnancies sadly ending in loss. The wave of light saw bereaved families around the world light a candle at 7pm. The lighting of candles symbolises a united wave of light, a powerful image to represent the experience of losing a baby. Baby Loss Awareness Week brings together a number of fantastic charities who help raise awareness and vital funds for research and support. Those charities include Stillbirth and Neonatal Death Charity, SANS. SANS work to reduce the number of babies dying and to ensure anyone affected gets care and support. The week aims to engage with people from all backgrounds and experience of loss, this year highlighting the isolation many experience after baby loss, whether that be women, partners, other family members or friends. For more on how to get involved, visit https colon slash slash babyloss-awareness.org You beauty! Martin Odegaard's brilliant strike at Burnley has been voted as our September Goal of the Month, presented by Sportsbet.io. The Norway international lined up a free kick from 25 yards out, before curling an unstoppable strike into the top corner to win the game at Turf Moor. Odegaard's goal finished with 28% of the votes cast, with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's North London derby goal against Tottenham in second place. Eddie Nketiah's inventive strike against AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup finished in third spot. Ticket news. Home, Arsenal vs Aston Villa. Premier League, Friday, October the 22nd, kick-off 8pm, live on Sky Sports. 
This is a Category B fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 100 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Please visit www.arsenal.com tickets for up-to-date ticket information regarding this fixture. Arsenal vs Leeds United, Carabao Cup Round 4, Tuesday, October 26th, kick-off 7.45pm. Platinum members, your membership cards are valid for this fixture. Gold members, season cards are not valid for this match. Tickets are available to members who renewed or joined the Arsenal membership before 9.45pm on Wednesday, September 22nd only. We have made this decision following consultation with the police and to ensure we are in line with crowd segregation requirements. Please visit www.arsenal.com tickets for up-to-date ticket information regarding this fixture. Arsenal vs Watford Premier League, Sunday, November the 7th, kick-off 2pm, live on Sky Sports. This is a Category B fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 100 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are currently on sale to Silver, Purple, Red, Cannon and Junior Gunner members. Arsenal vs Newcastle United, Premier League, Saturday, November the 27th, 2021, kick-off 12.30pm, live on BT Sport. This is a Category B fixture. My Arsenal Rewards members will earn 100 points for each ticket purchased for this fixture. Tickets are now on sale to Silver, Purple, Red, Cannon and Junior Gunner members only. Away, Leicester City vs Arsenal, the King Power Stadium, Premier League, Saturday, October 30th, Kick-off 12.30pm, live on BT Sports. This fixture is now sold out. The fixture sold out to Platinum, Gold and current Travel Club members with 5-plus away points. Tommy's superb September. What a start to life in England for Takahiro Tomiyasu, our September Player of the Month. The Japan International joined us on transfer deadline day and was thrown straight into the action against Norwich two days later. Tommy, as he is known around the club, helped us to a clean sheet in that game, and then did it again a week later against Burnley. The right-back also made a big impression in our North London derby victory against Tottenham, as we rounded off the month in superb style. Tommy received 51% of the votes cast, with Aaron Ramsdale in second, and Emil Smith-Rowe in third place. Notice board. Totaliser £265. Happy 60th birthday, Peter Sexton, a lifelong Arsenal fan and season ticket holder, love, Tracy and Verity. Happy 80th birthday, Brian Coles. Enjoy the game, love Ian, Louise, Harry and Joe. Arsenal remembers Paul Cox a lifelong supporter who followed Arsenal over land and sea, passed away on September 3, 2021, after a short illness. He will be missed more than words can say by his wife Dawn, family and his many friends. Ronald Stanley Williams, August 12, 1935 to August 13, 2021, a life well-lived, R.I.P. 
Luke Mission, a dedicated Arsenal fan and a genuine lovely man. Born on January the 3rd, 1984, and passed away on September the 13th, 2021, at the age of 37. Luke, you will be truly missed. Love Scott, Sarah, Josh, Jack, Jake, your MacArthur family. Roy Conway After 79 years fanatically following Arsenal, Roy sadly passed away on September the 22nd, 2021, aged 85. All who knew him will miss his stories of matches, knowledge of the game, his love and affection for fellow supporters. Going to the games won't be the same without you there next to me, Dad. God bless you, a true champion and legend. Love always and forever, Graham family and friends. We have won each of our last seven Premier League home games played on a Monday, scoring 15 goals and conceding just twice in return. An audience with Arsene Wenger and David Dine. Have you got plans for Monday, November the 8th? Well, if not, why not head down to the London Palladium to take in an audience with two men instrumental in creating modern-day Arsenal, Arsene Wenger and David Dine? The one-off event, which will take place in aid of the Twinning Project charity, will see the pair discuss their time with us, the wider state of football today, and where they see the game going in the future. For more information, visit https colon slash slash lwtheatres.co.uk slash what's hyphen on slash an hyphen audience hyphen with hyphen arson hyphen wenger hyphen and hyphen david hyphen dine slash. Mikel is manager of the month. Huge congratulations to Mikel Arteta and his staff after he was named as the Premier League's Manager of the Month for September. Our boss helped us bounce back from a tricky start to the campaign in style, with wins over Norwich Burnley and then Tottenham in the North London derby. Mikel beat the likes of Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, Graham Potter and Dean Smith to the award. I think this award represents the way everyone has been together, has been working, and has been positive in difficult moments and continued to do their work with the right mentality, the right ambition, and with the right work and direction, Mikel told Arsenal.com. I get the award, but it's for all the people behind it. International Success The recent international break saw no fewer than six members of our first-team squad score for their respective nations. Tomas Partey netted in successive wins for Ghana over Zimbabwe, with Nicolas Pepe opening the scoring in the Ivory Coast's victory against Malawi. Meanwhile, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was on target when helping Gabon to beat Angola, and Bukhe Osaka scored for England against Andorra. Emil Smith-Rowe was also on the score sheet against Andorra, albeit for England under-21s while Nuno Tavares opened the scoring in Portugal under 21's comprehensive 11-0 win over Liechtenstein. Win a gorilla with Visit Rwanda. No, not an actual gorilla, but one of Visit Rwanda's super-cute, cuddly versions of the great ape so synonymous with the country. And we have two to give to supporters attending the match today.
All you have to do is send a picture to our Twitter feed at AFC Programme posing with today's matchday programme, but it must be open on the Visit Rwanda advert page. Got it? We've made it easy for you as it's the page next to this story. We'll choose two winners who will be welcoming a new furry member to their family. If you're not a winner, the gorillas are available for £15 from Arsenal Direct and there's a very special reason to get the gorilla on your Christmas list. 20% of all profits spent on these adorable apes goes to support gorilla conservation and the expansion of their habitat, allowing the real gorillas to continue to thrive in Rwanda. Jack's back in training. Jack Wilshire is back at London Coney. The club sat down with our former midfielder recently to discuss how we can help him prepare and train for his next step while he continues to do his coaching badges. He wants to do his coaching badges again and we are prepared to fulfil all the needs that he wants, Mikel Arteta told Arsenal.com. That is basically the idea and it is no further than that. I am very happy to have him back. We had a conversation with Jack and understand the needs that he has, the period that he is going through, and I think everyone at the club agreed it was the right moment to help him. He is going to be training sometimes with us. He is going to be around the place. He is going to be continuing his coaching badges that he is very interested in to try to get him fit, try to get his experiences across to our players, our young players, our academy, and I think it is great influence to have around. Player feature. Player feature. Sambi Lukonga, Fanzo. Arsenal players discuss the influence and inspiration provided by you, the fans. Following a hugely promising start to his Gunners career, the Matchday programme spoke exclusively to Belgium international midfielder Sambi Lukonga about his upbringing in Anderlecht, his first impressions of the Premier League, and how he relishes the challenge in the most intimidating arenas. Sambi Lukonga knows all about being a fan's favourite. He still holds a special place in the heart of Anderlecht supporters, having grown up in the club's academy, before progressing all the way to become club captain by the age of 21. Born in the Belgian capital of Brussels, but raised in Verviers, near Liège, Sambi joined Anderlecht at the age of just 10, and swiftly moved through the ranks. He was highly sought after throughout his development stage at Anderlecht, as he represented Belgium under-17s, then under-19s and under-21s. But he stayed with the Belgian giants to continue his footballing education, signing his first pro contract shortly after his 18th birthday, and making his first team debut just a month later in December 2017. The teenage Sambi was thrown straight into the starting eleven wearing the number 48 shirt as a nod to his postal code in Verviers and helped his side to a 1-0 win over Eupen in the Belgian top flight. I remember that game well, he grins. I played very good. I must have done quite well because I also started the game after as well. So I think I done well on my debut. The manager was happy with me and my performance. Both of his first two home games were at Anderlecht's home the constant Vanden Stock Stadium, 
a place where Sambi had watched his heroes as a youngster himself. His first ever away game for the first team, incidentally, was at Standard Liège, a match that ended 3-3, and in which Sambi was up against his older brother, Paul Jose Mpoku, who had spent two years at the Tottenham Academy before moving back to Belgium. But Sambi had only ever played for one club before making his senior debut, so it was understandably an emotional moment when he got to run out at Anderlecht's home stadium for the very first time. To be honest, when I was a kid, I liked always to watch the individual players, rather than a specific team, he explains. My family didn't support anyone in particular, but when I was only 10, I joined Anderlecht, so I grew up there, and we used to go to the stadium all the time to watch the first team with the rest of the youth players. We would go a few times a month with the youth team. Then when I was 18, I got to play there for the first time in a full stadium. All my family was there. I bought them all tickets and everyone came to support me. I had my parents, friends, cousins, aunties, a lot, a lot of people. It was three years ago, but I remember how excited I was. Honestly, I'm not someone who gets nervous, so I was more excited than anything. I just couldn't wait to play, to start a game. In fact, the night before, I couldn't sleep because I wanted to play in the big game. And that's just the way I am. It was the same when Sambi was a fan. Like most of us, he relished the big games against the big rivals, and one in particular stands out. Yeah, I remember one against Standard Liège. They were always a big rival for Anderlecht, and this was a really, really good game. I think I was about 12 at the time, but the thing I remember most about it was the atmosphere. Anderlecht was always a difficult place to play for any team to come to. For years we used to beat every team at home, and everyone was afraid to go and play there so the supporters were always really important for us. He's never lost that passion for the big occasion, having signed for us after the end of the restrictions on fans' attendance. All of his Arsenal appearances have come in front of sellout crowds. His debut came in the particularly lively atmosphere of a promoted club's first ever game in the Premier League, and although the result was not what we wanted that evening against Brentford, it helped prepare Sambi for life in English football. Before I came here, I heard that the English fans are crazy in love with football and are really passionate. They've confirmed it from day one, he says. The atmosphere at the first game was very good. When you're a player, you like to have a crowd like this. You feel the crowd there as well. And you like this kind of environment. I didn't like it when there were no fans at games. I much prefer football with fans. In fact, I love football with fans. I don't know if I've got a favourite stadium to play in. But what I really like is to play in the stadiums of our biggest rivals. I love that. When everybody doesn't like you and when they hate your club, it gives you more energy and I think you play better. With that in mind, is there a particular game this season that Sambi is looking forward to in his debut season in England? I think for me the Liverpool and Manchester United away games, he says. They are in big stadiums with a big fan base. A lot of fans from around the world will be watching. I watch a lot of the Premier League football now because I like to know a lot more about the teams we are facing. I knew a lot about Belgian football, of course, because I watched it all the time. But I need to get to know the Premier League better. To tell the truth, I only really watch football anyway. I'm not that interested in any other sports. I might watch some basketball sometimes, but nothing else particularly. Just football. It's a new league for me. Everything is new. 
so I've got to watch a lot and keep learning. But to be honest, I've always followed the Premier League when I was younger anyway. I like the way the teams play over here. There is always a lot of intensity and most of the games have a lot of chances. I think that's why it's so popular with the fans everywhere. It's really exciting to watch and to play in. Now he's at Arsenal, Sambi is hopeful he can build a similar relationship with the fans to the one he enjoyed in Belgium. And there are plenty of examples to follow as he looks to make his mark in a new league. Indeed, the path from Anderlecht Academy to the Premier League is a well-trodden one. Sambi is following the likes of Romelu Lukaku, Yuri Tillemans, Cheku Kayate and Vincent Company, among others by graduating from Anderlecht and moving to England. Already on the fringes of the Belgium national team, he made his senior debut for his country just a few weeks after making his gunner's bow when he replaced Eden Hazard in the second half of a 5-2 qualifier win over Estonia in early September. And if he wants to know what it takes to become a fan's favourite in North London, he can always ask his coach at international level, a certain Thierry Henry. So what sort of relationship does Sambi think he will create with the Arsenal fans over the coming years? I hope they will like my style of play, the midfielder who turns 22 this Friday says. I know the fans will either love me or not love me, but I hope most fans will love me because the most important thing is to carry the right values of being a human being. And that's what I want to do here. I had a very strong connection with the Anderlecht fans, he continues. I think I was popular because I'd grown up here. I knew everyone at the club and had been captain, so they knew me very well. So it would be great to have that again at Arsenal. I've already met a few Arsenal fans when I've been out, shopping or something like that. A few fans have recognised me and asked me for a picture. They've been very friendly. They say they are happy to have me at the club and are telling me to push for the team, to do something special this year. One thing Sambi is particularly looking forward to is scoring his first goal in Gunners Colours. He didn't break his Anderlecht duck until last season three years after making his debut, but swiftly followed it up with two more last term. And now he has a taste for it. He admits, though, he doesn't know how he will celebrate the moment yet. Haha, <laughs> I'm not sure, he grins. For my first goal for Anderlecht, I slid on my knees. That's the best one for me, but I don't know what I'll do when I score for Arsenal yet, because it depends. Sometimes you get emotional, sometimes you plan something, but then I'll probably have to make it up if it's a last-minute winner. Red, white and green. Sustainability Focus. Arsenal Football Club has a vision to lead the sporting community in a quest to a more sustainable future and the Matchday programme is taking the lead. Working with CarbonLink in Kenya, this season's issue is offsetting the emissions generated during the programme production process, creating the Arsenal Forest in Africa. The programme is also sponsoring small environmental projects around the club, as well as encouraging young fans and staff members to tell us about their green credentials. We are also highlighting our printer's environmental efforts. In addition, in each programme we showcase significant club-wide projects being undertaken as part of our drive to greater sustainability. This issue how the Arsenal Forest is regenerating a region, why one young fan sleeps outdoors every single night, a staff member's steps to sustainability, 
Our printers shine a light on best practices. A bug hotel for Emirates Stadium. The wonderful world of waste. Bishop's backing. Arsenal's program print partner, Bishop's Printers, are considered one of the most environmentally conscious printers in the UK. Here we highlight their sustainability credentials. Bishop's Printers production facility covers an area of 85,000 square feet, requiring a lot of lights, and that can eat up energy. Bishop swapped from halogen and fluorescent lights to more fuel-efficient LED lighting years before it became a legal requirement, reducing their carbon footprint by 462,826 kilograms per year. Green gain by game. As autumn approaches, thoughts at the football club turn to important matters like squad depth, Carabao Cup progress, and bugs. Ecosystems are nothing without their billions, literally, of insects. And as the weather turns colder, some of these crucial little critters will need to bed down until the spring. So, for this issue's green gain, we're doing our bit and positioning a comfy bug hotel in a secluded area on the outside of the stadium. Let's hope it's not spotted by one of the Swifts next spring. Red and white regeneration. To offset the carbon consumption of the production of the matchday program, we are working with not-for-profit reforestation organisation CarbonLink, who have estimated we need to plant 12,500 trees, each absorbing 20 kilograms of CO2 over the next 10 years. In this issue. We look at the Arsenal Forest plot and how it will be regenerated by the planting of our trees. The Arsenal Forest project aims to restore tree cover in a part of East Africa that would have been heavily forested in the past, but which has now become largely scrubland. A 37-acre plot of this deforested scrub was selected as shown on the map on this page, giving plenty of room for thousands of neem trees. The entire plot is now under the full ownership. Of the community of Bore itself, ensuring that all future benefits from the timber harvest will go to help local families whose main concern is paying for school fees for their children. There are frequent droughts in this area, but a nearby seasonal river will come in handy as a water source if the seedlings need irrigation during their first couple of years. Marshy areas like these are great for migrating birds. Many of whom will soon be making their way down south from the UK for the winter, which means that once established, the Arsenal Forest could provide a nice home for some of those swallows currently gathering on the telegraph poles, or that cuckoo you hear in the spring. Grow your own. CarbonLink have already received a number of orders for trees from supporters wishing to add to the Arsenal Forest. Thanks so much for getting involved in this exciting project. We want to expand our 12.5-acre area to make our forest as big as possible. There are three options to purchase trees: 25 trees for 25 pounds, 50 trees for 50 pounds, and 100 trees for 100 pounds. If you are concerned about your own carbon footprint, this is an excellent way of making a small, sustainable step in the right direction, and also doing it in the name of the club you love. And what an excellent gift for the Arsenal fan in your life! Go to www.carbonlink.org/the-arsenal-forest-in-africa for more info and details of how to be a part of our forest. Program upcycling scheme. 
Any programmes that we don't sell have traditionally been offered to our community projects as valuable resources. However, we would be more than happy to let supporters get involved in this upcycling if they have a charity, school or community venture that could benefit from old issues and have the means to be able to collect them from the stadium. Please drop us an email to programmes at arsenal.co.uk outlining where and why you would like to use the old programmes and we'll be in touch. Nothing left to waste. Clearing, cleaning, collecting, sorting. Match day behind the scenes at Emirates Stadium has become a military operation. It's great to have Emirates Stadium full of fans again after so long. The noise and atmosphere have been sorely missed. But one thing that hasn't been missed is the amount of waste we produce on a match day. When 60,000 fans attend the stadium, we will be left with nearly 12 tonnes of waste. This waste comes in many shapes and sizes and covers lots of different types of material, some recyclable, some not. If you are a regular reader of these pages, you would already have heard about the reusable cup that Camden Town Brewery and Arsenal introduced at Emirates Stadium. This has had a really positive impact on the waste from a match day by taking 20,000 single-use plastic cups out. But there are still many items that need to be dealt with. Just as the game is kicking off, cleaners from our cleaning contractor, Atlas, are already hard at work in the concourse and bar areas. Instead of just sweeping everything up into one big bin bag, they will do what is known in the industry as a positive pick. This is when recyclable items are separated from the general waste. So we will remove all the plastic bottles of soft drinks, beers and cider and keep them separate from the other waste streams. By doing this, we are able to give our waste contractor, Veolia, good, clean material which can then go to recycling and reprocessing. The reusable beer cup collection bins are also emptied if necessary. This process is repeated during the second half as well, making sure the concourse is clean and tidy whilst collecting and sorting all the recyclable material. After the game, the cleaners will again go through the stadium, picking the recyclable items out of the general waste. But even then, we still aren't finished. All the bins around the stadium are full of all sorts of waste, and we want to get all the recyclable material out before it gets taken off-site. These bins are taken into the waste management area of the stadium car park, and the real work begins. Every bag is opened and emptied onto a purpose-built table, and painstakingly sorted into different categories. Plastic, glass, reusable cups and cardboard are all taken out and put into different bins. What is left, which isn't much, is then put into the general waste compactor where it will be sent for waste to energy. All the cups are placed into any remaining cup collection bins, ready for their journey to Dagenham for washing. All the other items are baled and stored ready to be removed from site by Veolia and taken to their various processing plants, all within the M25, making sure the waste is travelling no further than absolutely necessary. There are lots of other waste streams that we deal with, food and grass being two of them. As you can imagine, the playing surfaces, not just at Emirates Stadium, but at the training ground at London Colney and the Youth Academy at Hale End, all require lots of love and endless cutting. The grass from Hale End and Emirates Stadium is taken for composting, while the grass from the training ground is spread on a field. Food is taken for anaerobic digestion, meaning, as it decomposes, 
the gas is collected and used to create electricity. Staff support. Every issue of the programme, we find out what Arsenal staff are doing to become more sustainable. It's been all changed for Mattia Zambaldi, future projects and facilities manager recently. When I moved to North London, I started to use my bike to cycle the five miles into Emirates Stadium. It is a great way to travel for physical exercise, speed and, of course, for the environment. I've also reduced the number of plastic bottles I purchase and tried to source more local food when I can. And I've also gone meat-free a day a week. Can I recommend Parmigiana di Melanzani as the perfect Italian dish to try if you are vegetarian? Molto bene, Mattia. Some superb sustainability steps. Eco-gunners. We ask young Arsenal supporters to tell us how they are helping the planet. Woody, aged 11, has taken getting close to nature to new heights. I love being outdoors, so I think it's really important that we try to protect our environment. I've built a bug hotel in our garden near our pond to make the insects want to come to us. Also, I sleep every night in a tent in our garden, which means I save on electricity in my bedroom as the light hasn't been turned on in there for four months. That is amazing, Woody. Octopus Energy, our official energy supplier, who are supporting this club on its sustainability journey, are sending you a cuddly outdoor octopus. Are you a young gunner who is thinking about the environment? Email juniorgunners at arsenal.co.uk now. If we feature you in our programme, our friends at Octopus will send you one too. Community Voice Arsenal in the Community engages over 5,000 participants every week. Throughout the season, we will shine a light on some of our fantastic participants and projects. Today, we look at our assist programme. Through funding from the Premier League Charitable Fund and Islington Council, Arsenal in the community have launched the assist programme. We work closely with the local police, as well as Islington and Camden Youth Offending Services, to engage young people who are at the early stages of entering the criminal justice system, with the aim of providing positive activities that can support them into making more positive decisions. Young people are referred into the programme from local services and take part in weekly workshops plus football sessions at the Arsenal Hub. The workshops are delivered by the police, detached youth workers, youth offending officers and Arsenal in the community staff, with topics including positive decision-making, the consequences for knife crime and careers. The ASSIST programme is a fantastic project. It highlights the kind of quality intervention that can be achieved when multiple organisations come together to support young people. Football is naturally something that a lot of the young people we work with have an interest in. Creating a project that combines this with educational sessions is exactly the kind of creative thinking that we need. It gives young people the fun and productive space they need to move in a positive direction. It is crucial that the work we do is designed to be engaging for our service users, as it gives them the best chance to learn from the work we do with them. 
Programs like this are the kind of positive youth work that our young people need, and it's great to have Arsenal so involved in supporting the young people at Camden. So says Arthur Waters, Reparation and Participation Officer. The Arsenal brand appeals to a lot of our young people in the borough. Our youths are always excited by projects delivered by Arsenal and the team. So says Marcus Miller, Islington ISS officer and YOS Interventions lead. Through this scheme, staff aim to build a rapport and positive relationships with the young people, then support them into the wider programmes on offer within Arsenal in the community, based on their interests and needs. The relationships developed help create a sense of belonging, which allows us to support vulnerable young people and provide them with opportunities that aid their personal development, such as education and employment. By working closely as a partnership, we hope to reduce the likelihood of participants re-offending. For more info on the ASSIST programme or any of our social inclusion projects, please contact Jack Ironside at jironside at arsenal.co.uk. Foundation Voice. The work of the Arsenal Foundation and the partners and initiative it supports have touched the lives of a great number of people in a variety of ways. The Arsenal Foundation's Emergency Covid Fund supported the Hope Theatre's monologue writing competition, which invited entries from youngsters aged 11 to 25 on the subject of hope. Harriet Cork from Essex was one of the three winners who had their monologues recorded by professional actors. I moved to London when I was 18 to study English at Queen Mary University and I graduated in 2018. After that, I worked as a theatre usher. Fast forward to 2021 and theatre is only just getting back on its feet, but I'm very lucky to be working as a PA, a job that teaches me a huge amount every day. I write in my downtime, on my own or with a theatre company I co-founded last year. I recently reread one of my favourite childhood books, Don't Look Now, Clarice Bean, by Lauren Child, which centres on the concept of the worst worry you didn't even think to worry about. That's what Covid has been for me. I wish I'd been able to enjoy the positive aspects, precious time with family and friends, working on creative projects, without feelings of dread creeping in. I think I, along with many others, will be feeling the psychological effects of the pandemic long after it's over. My friend Scarlett told me about the Hope Theatre monologue competition and encouraged me to apply. I'm very lucky to have friends who encourage me to put myself out there, even when it feels like the scariest thing in the world. She suggested I submit this monologue I drafted early last year. At first I thought she was really reaching, as the monologue has a lot of heavy emotional threads, not exactly hopeful. The monologue is called Traces, and the audience finds the narrator, Melody, in the middle of packing up her old house. They hear her reflections on living there, the ghost she leaves behind, and the life she has yet to live. And when I read it over, I realised I was wrong. I instinctively felt a sense of hope emanating from the character, and felt re-inspired to make her voice heard. I was very proud to be one of the winners, although initially I was just surprised, as I'd totally forgotten I'd entered. 
Now I've had more time to reflect, I feel honoured to have Melody's voice heard. This is the first time an actor has performed my work, so it's a massive milestone. The whole process has been a joy, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to work with such talented, visionary individuals. My aim is to keep writing for theatre because I love the immediacy and the endless possibilities for experimentation. I'm currently working on a one-person show, as well as a play with my own Culford company. I think football clubs helping local groups can only be a positive thing. Both the arts and sport are at the centre of local communities, but they're often subject to gatekeeping. I hope initiatives like this one will ensure that both remain open to everyone rather than just a select few. For more information, visit www.thehopetheatre.com. Academy, Young Gun, Josh Robinson. The Basics. Born, Leighton Stone, 20th of December, 2004. Joined, 3rd of March, 2016. Height and weight, 5 foot 11 inches, 78 kilograms. Position, centre-back or right-back. School, Bower Park Academy. One of my earliest memories of football growing up is playing Sunday league football as a midfielder. I'm a defender now, but back then I used to be scoring goals for fun. That's where it all started, really. I used to do a lot of swimming as a kid, and I remember one day seeing these group of lads just having a kickabout. I was jealous of them and told my dad that I wanted to join. He took me down to our local football club not longer after, and that was that. I was hooked from there on. The club was called Romford Colts. I've got a lot of good memories there. I used to play Sunday League, and then throughout the week I'd go to my mate's house, and we'd play behind the block of flats or in a cage in Walthamstow. We loved it. I guess when you compare me to other players in academies, I started quite late. I didn't join my Sunday team until I was nine, and then I didn't start taking it seriously for at least another year or two. It was just a bit of fun for me at the start, but then I decided that this was something I wanted to take further. I wanted to see how far I could go. Back then, I used to love playing as a midfielder, and they used to stick me out on the wing too. I was regularly scoring hat-tricks. Anyway, I eventually joined a development centre and from there I felt like I really started to improve as a footballer and find my real position. I was training with some brilliant coaches who used to play football and that really helped my development. I was there for about six months and that's when I was asked if I wanted to trial for Arsenal. Of course my answer was yes. But it didn't go to plan at first, they rejected me. So I went back to the development centre and carried on playing and working hard until Crystal Palace asked me to go on trial. I played with them for a little while, and teams like QPR and Everton were interested, but when Arsenal invited me for another trial, I had to take it. They liked me, signed me up, and I've been here ever since. That feeling of knowing Arsenal wanted me was amazing. I had my first full season at under-12s, and I remember being so excited because I had this incredible opportunity right in front of me. Going to Hale End for the first time was so cool. I was really nervous because Arsenal is obviously such a big place, with so many big names who have represented the club, but I just had to tell myself to relax, take on the pressure and enjoy it. My time at Hale End was amazing, 
and I've got so much to thank all the staff there for. I was a good player when I joined Arsenal, but my technical ability wasn't there, and that's something I've developed here. I understand the game so much better, and I feel like I've got the ability to play under pressure now. I've gained so much experience from my time here, and there's no way that I'd be where I am today without Arsenal. If I had to describe my style of play, I'd say that I'm a very defensive-minded player. I can play as a centre-back or full-back, and I'm a very athletic and aggressive defender. Picking up the ball and driving out has always been something that I'm good at, but now I'm working even harder to improve my passing and ability to be in control in difficult situations. Above all else, I just love to defend. I've always had a defend-first mentality, and I think that's something my teammates appreciate. I made my debut for the under-18s last season, and that was a really good experience for me. I was really excited because I felt like I deserved the opportunity, but I was also nervous, because the jump from under-16s to under-18s football is really fast, and it's definitely a big step up too. It's not the same as under-16s because mentally you need to be so much sharper. It's definitely more physical too, and it's been a great challenge for me in every game. In terms of my goals for this season, all I want to do is secure my place in the under-18 side. I want to get my name on that team sheet as much as possible, just picking up appearances whenever possible, and then hopefully, after showing my ability on a consistent basis, I can become a regular starter, week in, week out. Just finally, I'd like to use this time to say just how proud I am of the black history that we have here at Arsenal. It's Black History Month right now, and over the years we've seen some of the very best to ever play the game represent this club and everything that it stands for. In my mind, a fairer game is always going to be a better game. The recent group of young black players we've seen make the step up to the first team is amazing too. Eddie, Ainsley, Race, Bakayo, Follerin. It's something we can be incredibly proud of and it shows all young kids that there's a way to make it. Around the Academy Under-18s and 23s power on. It's been another successful few weeks for our under-18s and under-23s, with three wins and one draw between the two sides. Those results ensured we entered the most recent international break, sitting in second place across both divisions, maintaining our promising start to life under Dan Michike, under-18s, and Kevin Betsy, under-23s. The final weekend of September saw our under-23s travel to tabletoppers Manchester City, where they claimed a valuable 2-2 draw. The hosts opened the scoring through Oscar Bob, but on the stroke of half-time we equalised in quite brilliant fashion with Salah Edin Aland Mann collecting the ball midway through the City half, driving forward and curling a wonderful shot into the top corner. Joel Lopez then went on to give us the lead straight from kickoff at the start of the second half, combining with fellow wing-back Ryan Alabiosu to fire home off the post. But City equalised shortly after, through Nico O'Reilly. That failed to dent our spirits though, as just a few days later, we delivered a complete performance at Emirates Stadium to defeat Brighton 3-0. The informed Florin Balogun opened the scoring on the rebound after seeing his initial penalty saved, before Salah provided the all-important final touch 
to a slick passing move. From defence to attack, doubling our advantage with a sweeping finish. Balogun then went on to make it three in the second half, winning a penalty with a sublime piece of skill and duly converting from 12 yards. The promising young striker now has scored six goals in just four Premier League two appearances this season. Our under-18s have also been in fine form recently, after ending September with a deserved 1-0 victory over Birmingham. Michike's side started fast and grabbed their reward early on, as the impressive Charles Sago Jr. finished off a free-flowing attacking move, cutting inside from the left wing before firing back across goal and into the bottom left corner. We dominated the remainder of the game and deserved more for our patient play, but in the end, had to settle for a one-goal margin. That certainly wasn't the case in our next league outing, as we ran out comfortable 3-0 winners over Norwich, courtesy of a Kion Edwards masterclass. The young striker opened the scoring early on, with a simple finish from close range, converting James Sweet's delivery, before doubling our lead, well-timed run that saw him round the keeper and fire into an open goal. Edwards then went on to make it three late on in the second half, finishing from inside the six-yard area after being teed up by Mauro Bandiera. The 18-year-old has now scored seven in just six league appearances this term. Bereth scores again. Mika Bereth maintained his fine goal-scoring form over the recent international break, converting in Denmark's under-19s convincing 5-2 victory over Kazakhstan. Though Bereth was born and raised in England, he remains eligible to represent Denmark and was handed his first under-19s call-up for their 2022 UEFA Euros under-19 qualifiers. The young striker opened the scoring after just six minutes before being substituted shortly after the hour mark. Meanwhile, in the Premier League 2, Bereth has scored four goals and assisted one in just seven games for our under-23s this season. Hein steps up at senior level. Karl Hein delivered yet another assured performance for Estonia during their 2-0 home win victory over Belarus last week. This marks Hein's second clean sheet at senior level after making his debut in their recent 0-0 draw with Wales, making a number of impressive saves. The 19-year-old, who made his non-competitive first-team debut in July in pre-season at Hibernian, signed a new long-term contract in September and will be hoping for more opportunities at domestic level. Keep it up, Carl. Arsenal Academy Showdown Charlie Patino and Marcelo Flores recently went head-to-head at international level as England under-19s defeated Mexico under-20s 3-1. Patino started at the base of England's midfield and played 70 minutes, while Flores was deployed in attack and was replaced shortly before the hour mark. Behind the headline. Right on, new kids from the Brock. The Sun, September 23rd, 1991. Arsenal historian John Sperling reveals the story behind a famous newspaper headline. When Ian Wright signed for Arsenal in September 1991, he became the latest in a distinguished line of black players to appear in a gunner's shirt. Grenada-born Brendan Batson was Arsenal's first black player making his first-team debut two decades earlier, and by the early 80s, Islington-born youngsters Chris White, defender, and Raphael Mead, striker, had broken into the first team to play alongside midfielder 
Paul Davis. The Dulwich-born Davis was the only Highbury survivor of the triumvirate to witness the next wave of black players in the mid to late 1980s. When Woolwich-born Wright made his Gunners debut against Leicester City in the League Cup two days after he signed, he scored on his debut in Arsenal's 1-1 draw, he took his place alongside Davis and midfielders David Rowcastle and Michael Thomas and striker Kevin Campbell, who'd all established themselves in the Arsenal first team. On the subject of why Wright left Selhurst Park, the press highlighted the fact that Palace chairman Ron Nodes had stated in a recent TV documentary, The black players at this club lend the side a lot of skill and flair, but you also need white players in there to balance things up and give the team some brains and some common sense. Wright always insisted that it wasn't the prime factor in his departure, arguing that he needed a bigger stage at this stage of my career, but Rhodes' comments were symptomatic of the racial stereotypes in the game. For Wright, it was now time to look to the future and line up alongside David Rowcastle, his friend with whom he'd played football as a youngster in Broccoli. Although the older by three years, Wright always looked up to Rowcastle, who made his first team debut as a teenager in September 1985 for Arsenal, at the time when Wright was just breaking into the Palace side. After Wright made his league bow for Arsenal away at Southampton, the Suns' Martin Samuel, who has since also worked for the Times and the Daily Mail, wrote, They, Rowcastle and Wright, would play football in the streets until dark, pretending they were big stars. Clad in Arsenal's now classic early 90s acid house away kit, the pair linked up to devastating effect at the Dell. In the first half, Wright's shot was parried, only for Rowcastle, to blast home the rebound. Wright was in devastating form after the break, netting a hat-trick on his debut. It was the best day of my life, Wright admitted. After the match, Rowcastle told Martin Samuel, For some strange reason, the only time Ian and me were in the same side was up the block and in the local park. After that, we kept missing each other. I'm so pleased we're now in the team together. As Wright began his Arsenal career in fine style during the 1991-92 campaign, the now fully fit Rowcastle, restored to central midfield by manager George Graham after two seasons of persistent injuries, appeared rejuvenated. But his reunion with Wright lasted just eight months before he was sold to Champions Leeds United during the close season. Wright confessed to crying for three days after Rowcastle left because I genuinely thought I was going to be with him for the whole time I was there. Wright, meanwhile, continued to go from strength to strength in his second season at Highbury, and newspaper headlines had plenty of fun with the Arsenal striker's nickname. Wright in touch was one Daily Mail lead after Wright scored on his return to Selhurst Park in November 1992. After Wright netted twice at Ellen Road during an FA Cup replay with Leeds United, the Daily Mirror led with all things right and beautiful. And following another victory at Selhurst Park, this time in the Coca-Cola Cup semi-final first leg, the Mirror insisted Arsenal were right hot. Wright grabbed every opportunity that came his way, both on and off the pitch. In October 1992, Nike snapped him up for their first TV commercial, to the background of Lou Reed's Walk on the Wild Side. After Wright yelled kick it at the start of the advert, there was footage of him scoring goals against Southampton on the final day of the 1991-92 campaign, pointing to his boot. The mocking Gary Who strapline, the popular Gary Lineker had recently departed Tottenham and headed for Grampus 8 in Japan, 
portrayed Wright as an edgy anti-hero. Wright wasn't always comfortable with that persona, explaining, Sometimes I felt like I was in a goldfish bowl, but I accepted that, with my profile, that was part and parcel of playing in London for Arsenal. He then collaborated with the Pet Shop Boys, Chris Lowe, an Arsenal fan, and cut a record, Do the Right Thing. Although the single failed to make much headway in the charts, reaching number 43, the lyrics, which included the lines, People give you nothing, it must be earned, and You have to be second to none, said much about Wright's combative nature. Throughout his Arsenal career and beyond, Wright never shied away from telling his often difficult backstory. Originally considered too lightweight to make it as a professional footballer, in his early 20s Wright was up to his knees in filth, repairing and constructing tunnels for Greenwich Borough Council and had several brushes with the law. He struggled to make ends meet in order to support his young family, drifting around the non-league circuit, playing for Greenwich and all-black side 10MB. He finally turned professional at 22 with Palace, arriving in N5 at the comparatively late age of 28, desperate to make up for lost time. As the headlines proved, Ian Wright, whose recollections of those far-off days spent playing football with David Rowcastle in Broccoli, lent his story a great deal of poignancy and was arguably the Gunners most compelling player to watch in the 90s. At the same time, he overtook 100-metre Olympic champion Lindford Christie as the most marketable black sportsman in the country. The year 1991 in football. First Division champions 1991. Top goalscorer Alan Smith, Arsenal. FA Cup winners Tottenham Hotspur. League Cup winners Sheffield Wednesday. FWA Footballer of the Year. Gordon Strachan leads United. Also in 1991, Operation Desert Storm commences in Iraq. The Birmingham Six are released after spending 16 years unjustly incarcerated. Sega releases Sonic the Hedgehog. The IOC readmits South Africa into the Olympic movement post-apartheid. Tim Berners-Lee launches the World Wide Web Projects and creates the first website, info.cern.ch The best-selling song in the UK charts was Brian Adams' Everything I Do, I Do It For You. The number one film in the UK was Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which topped the box office charts for seven weeks. Arsenal Women. News and reports from England's most successful women's football team. Marching on in the league. Following a comfortable 3-0 win over Everton on Sunday, October 10th, Arsenal went clear at the top of the Women's Super League with a perfect start of five wins in five games. The victory over the Toffees was kicked off in a sensational style with a 20-yard volley from Katie McCabe in a player-of-the-match performance that whistled past Everton keeper Sandy McIver. Lotte Ruben Moy added a second before half-time, a powerful header from a corner, but the icing on the cake came from Frieda Manum after the break. The young Norwegian hit a shot from 25 yards that appeared to be still gathering pace as it crashed into the back of the net to cap another impressive performance from Jonas Eideval's team. Spurs crushed in the cup. 
Arsenal advanced to the semi-final of the 2020-21 FA Cup with a 5-1 victory over Tottenham Hotspur at Meadow Park on September 29th. The game didn't start according to the script as Rachel Williams put Spurs ahead after three minutes. Jonas Eideval's team roared back and Manu Iwabuchi shot home from the edge of the box before Lot Rubenmoy powered home a shot via a deflection. Caitlin Ford then finished a flowing team move and there was still time before the break for Nikita Paris to head home from a free kick. Ford grabbed a fifth in the second half when there was a welcome return to action for Vicky Schneiderbeck after 11 months on the sidelines. We now play Brighton in the semi-final at Meadow Park on Sunday, October 31st. The other semi-final features Manchester City and Chelsea, with the final to be played at Wembley on Sunday, December 5th. Suffering in Spain The Gunners fell to a heavy defeat in the Champions League group stage on October 5th at the hands of a hugely impressive Barcelona. The European champions impressed from the start and Coldente knocked in the opening goal on the half hour. We then conceded either side of half-time through Alexia Putelas and ex-gunner Asisat Oshoala. Frida Manum clawed back a goal, her first for the Gunners, after a well-executed Tobin Heath free-kick. But Barker restored their three-goal cushion through Lika Martens, but Manuela Zinsberger prevented the score getting any worse, with a superb penalty save to deny Putelas. Jonas is Manager of the Month. Congratulations to Jonas Eideval, who was named September's Women's Super League Manager of the Month for September, after his team's hugely impressive wins over Chelsea, Reading and Manchester City. I don't think it's about me at all, but if it's about us as a team and our performances, I'm very happy said the modest Swede. I'd be nothing without my staff and players, and this is something we've won together. I'd also like to say thank you to my wife, who has been a massive support in this hectic start to life in London. I want to share this award with everyone at the club. And Beth's Player of the Month too. Arsenal's table-topping antics also propelled one of their September stars, Beth Mead, to the Player of the Month accolade. The forward scored three goals, including two beauties against Chelsea, and grabbed three assists for good measure. 2021-22 fixtures. Home games are played at Meadow Park Boreham Wood Football Club. The home game against Tottenham on March the 27th is at Emirates Stadium. Matches kick off at 3pm unless stated otherwise. August 18th, FC Ojeptas, 4-0. August 21st, PSV Eindhoven, 3-1. August 31st, Slavia Prague, home, 3-0. September 5th, Chelsea, home, 3-2. September 9th, Slavia Prague, 4-0. September 12th, Reading, 4-0. September 26th, Manchester City, home, 5-0. September 29th, Tottenham Hotspur, home, 5-1. October 3rd, Aston Villa, 12.30pm, 4-0. October 5th, Barcelona, 1-4. October 10th, Everton, home, 3-0.
October 14th, Hoffenheim, 7pm. November 6th, West Ham United, home. November 10th, HB Kogue, 4.45pm. November 14th, Tottenham Hotspur. November 17th, HB Kogue, 7pm, home. November 21st, Manchester United. December 9th, Barcelona, 7pm, home. December 12th, Leicester City, home. December 15th, Hoffenheim, 7pm. December 19th, Brighton and Hove Albion, home. January 9th, Birmingham City. January 16th, Reading, home. January 23rd, Manchester City. February 6th, Manchester United, home. February 13th, Chelsea. March 4th, Birmingham City, home. March 13th, Brighton and Hove, Albion. March 27th, Tottenham Hotspur, home. April 3rd, Leicester City. April 24th, Everton, home. May 1st, Aston Villa, home. May 7th, West Ham United. Visitors, Crystal Palace, by Mike Hammond. Formed 1905, nickname, the Eagles, the Glaziers. Owner, Steve Parrish, Joshua Harris, David S. Blitzer, John Textor. Stadium, Selhurst Park, 25,486. Honours, Championship times two, playoff winners times four. League one times one. FA Cup runners-up times two, full members' cup winners times one. Now in their eighth successive Premier League campaign, Crystal Palace have a new manager in Arsenal legend Patrick Vieira, who replaced Roy Hodgson in the summer. And there is a positive feeling at Salhouse Park that this current Eagles side is capable of challenging hard for a top-half place, despite a modest start that has brought just one win in their opening seven league fixtures. The Hodgson era, which lasted from September 2017 to May this year, was by no means spectacular, delivering final Premier League placings of 11th, 12th, 14th and 14th again with the 50-point barrier never broken, and nothing better than one quarter-final berth in the two domestic knockout competitions in the 2018-19 FA Cup. But it was certainly one of consistency, one that rarely placed Palace in peril of relegation, which had been the club's fate in each of their first four Premier League campaigns in 1992-3, 1994-5, 1997-98, and 2004 to 2005. The ambition this season is to improve on what has gone before. To that end, the club had a busy summer in the transfer market, making eight signings, including central defenders Mark Goehi and Joachim Anderson from Chelsea and Lyon, respectively, midfielder Will Hughes, Watford, and attackers Miguel Alice, Reading, and Odsoni Edouard, Celtic. The campaign began disappointingly with a 3-0 defeat at Chelsea, then a 0-0 draw at home to Brantford, before going out of the Carabao Cup at Watford, with a 2-2 draw at early table-toppers West Ham, 
in which they twice came from behind through new loan signing Connor Gallagher before they grabbed their first win as three late goals, the last two from Edouard, earned them a 3-0 victory at home to Tottenham. They have added just two points in the last three matches, however. A 3-0 defeat at Liverpool was followed by successive home draws against Brighton, 1-1, when they conceded a stoppage-time equaliser, and Leicester, 2-2, when they wiped out a two-goal half-time deficit. That took Palace into the international break in 14th place. The boss, Patrick Vieira, manager, born June 23, 1976, in Dakar, Senegal. Previously, New York City, 2016-18, Nice, 2018-20. An Arsenal midfield great who was a key figure in the Gunners' glory days under Arsene Wenger, winning three Premier League titles and four FA Cups. Patrick also won the World Cup and European Championship with France for whom he was selected on 107 occasions. He left Highbury for Juventus, then played out his career at Inter, and back here in England with Manchester City, before taking on an executive role with the club, and starting out as a coach with their American MLS franchise New York City in January 2016. He left for Nice in June 2018 and remained there until December 2020, becoming Crystal Palace's new boss in July. 13. Between the Posts Vincenti Gueta, goalkeeper Born at Torrent, Spain, 10th of January 1987 Previously, Valencia, Recreativo on loan, Getafe Palace's first-choice goalkeeper in the last two seasons, Vincenti has retained his place under Patrick Vieira, starting all seven league games, despite the presence in the squad of England international Jack Butland. The 34-year-old Spaniard signed in July 2018 on a free transfer from Getafe, having made exactly 100 appearances in La Liga for the Madrid club that he joined from Valencia. A reliable shot-stopper, he was voted Palace's Player of the Season in 2020-21. 11. The Talisman, Wilfried Zaha, Attacker, born Abidjan, Ivory Coast, 10th of November 1992. Previously, Crystal Palace, Man United, Crystal Palace on loan, Cardiff on loan. A Palace Academy graduate, Wilfried has blossomed into one of the country's most mercurial talents and at just 28, a living Salhouse Park legend. His pace and trickery persuaded Manchester United to buy him in 2013-14, but he barely played for David Moyes' side and returned to South London, where he has fully re-established his credentials, marking his 400th Palace appearance with his 70th club goal, a penalty in the recent draw against Brighton. 18. The midfield grafter, James MacArthur, midfielder. Born Glasgow, 7th of October 1987. Previously, Hamilton, Wigan. Virtually the first name on the Palace team sheet under Roy Hodgson until he sustained a calf injury that forced him to miss the second half of last season. James has recovered sufficiently to start all seven Premier League games under Patrick Vieira. The combative midfielder won 32 caps for Scotland, 
before announcing his international retirement in 2017. He has not scored for Palace since netting the winner in their 3-2 win at Emirates Stadium in April 2019. 6. New boy at the back, Mark Gahi. Born Abidjan, Ivory Coast, 13th of July 2000. Previously, Chelsea, Swansea on loan. Mark joined Palace in the summer from Chelsea, his parent club, since the age of seven, after 18 impressive months on loan at Swansea that ended in last season's championship playoff final. Born in the Ivory Coast, but brought up in England, the country he has represented at every age group level from under-16 to under-21, Mark made just two senior appearances for the Blues, both in the EFL Cup, but has played every minute so far of this Premier League campaign. 22. New boy up front, Hudsonny Edouard. Born Kourou, French Guiana, 16th of January 1998. Previously, Paris Saint-Germain, Toulouse on loan, Celtic. French striker Hudsonny joined Palace on transfer deadline day this summer on a four-year contract after scoring 88 goals in 179 matches for Celtic over the past four seasons and topping the Scottish Premiership scoring charts in each of the last two campaigns. A gifted all-round striker, he made his mark for France at under-17 level when he starred in their 2015 European Championship win, scoring eight goals, including a hat-trick in the final against Germany. 23. The Loney Connor Gallagher, midfielder. Born Epsom, 6th of February 2000. Previously Chelsea, Charlton on loan, Swansea on loan, West Brom on loan. A current England under-21 international, Connor came up through Chelsea's youth ranks and is still on the club's books, though he has yet to make a first-team appearance. The 21-year-old do-it-all midfielder has had loan spells with Charlton, Swansea and West Brom, and is now on another with Palace until next summer. He quickly endeared himself to Eagles fans by scoring the club's first two goals of the season in a 2-2 draw at West Ham. 3. The Breakthrough Kid Tyrick Mitchell, defender, born, Brent, 1st of September 1999, previously non. Tyrick has started every Premier League game so far this season as Patrick Vieira's first-choice left-back, and it appears that the 22-year-old North Londoner will remain there, given that his chief rival for the position last term, Patrick van Aanholt, left the club for Galatasaray in the summer. Tyrick did not make his first-team debut until July 2020, but did enough last season when he started 19 of the 38 league games, scoring one goal, to earn himself a new four-year contract in April. 7. The talented teenager, Michael Elise, winger, born, Hammersmith, 12th of December 2001, previously Reading. A standout player in the championship last season for Reading, scoring seven goals in 44 appearances and earning himself the EFL Young Player of the Season prize, Michael was swooped upon by the Eagles in the summer and carried off to Selhurst Park on a five-year contract. Born in England, but already a French youth international, the gifted 19-year-old left-footer has yet to start a game for Palace, but scored his first goal for the club in the recent 2-2 home draw with Leicester.
Scouting Report by Michael Cox When Crystal Palace appointed former Arsenal captain Patrick Vieira in the summer, his task was to overhaul the Eagles' playing style. Roy Hodgson's approach was very effective in terms of keeping the club out of relegation danger, but Vieira was expected to make Palace more positive and proactive. So far, in that respect, the signs have been good. Palace's average share of possession has jumped from 43% last season to 50% this season, and their average pass completion rate has improved from 76% to 81%. Arguably, the biggest sign of positive change has been without possession. Statistics suggest only Southampton are pressuring opponents high up the pitch more frequently. In terms of results, Vieira will hope there is more to come. Palace have only won once this season, and all three goals in that 3-0 victory over Tottenham came after their opponents had gone down to ten men. Vieira's preferred system is 4-3-3, and there have been significant changes from last season in defence, midfield and attack. At the back, Vieira has installed an all-new centre-back pairing of England under-21 captain Mark Guehi and Joachim Anderson, who is generally impressive in possession, but made a couple of mistakes in the 2-2 draw with Leicester last time out. Palace's main defensive weakness, though, is from set-pieces. They have the worst record in the league in this respect, and conceded all three goals in a 3-0 loss at Liverpool from dead-ball situations. Joel Ward remains a steady, dependable option at right-back, while left-back Tyrick Mitchell is a very good tackler and is capable of pushing forward on the overlap. In midfield, Luka Milivojevic has regained his position in the side ahead of Cheku Kuarty, who is sometimes used at the back. Vieira asked his deepest holding midfielder to play a very disciplined role, allowing the two players ahead to push forward. James MacArthur is an ever-present, while Conor Gallagher has only missed the season opener against his parent club Chelsea. MacArthur is one of the league's most underrated players and offers great energy to the left, while Gallagher has played an all-action role to the right, often popping up in dangerous positions in the box. He scored twice in a 2-2 draw at West Ham. Wilfried Zaha remains Palace's most dangerous player. He surprisingly only scored once against Arsenal in 13 appearances, but his dribbling has often caused problems in this fixture. Notably, he's the most fouled player in the league so far. Jordan Ayew has often been used up front, but this season has been asked to play from the right, which means a choice between Odsoni Edouard and Christian Bantike up front. The latter has found goals difficult to come by in recent seasons, and Edouard's impact as a substitute and the 3-0 win over Tottenham was immediate. He grabbed both goals. He hasn't scored in his two starts, however. USP. Happy Travellers. In Crystal Palace's current Premier League scent of eight seasons, half have featured them gaining 50% or more of their points on their travels, which is highly unusual. This feels peculiar, although is presumably related to them having both managers and key players more comfortable on the counter-attack, which tends to be more viable away from home. 
It remains to be seen whether Patrick Vieira's more positive style of play changes this trend. Tottenham action. Sunday, September 26, 2021, 4.30pm, Emirates Stadium. Arsenal 3, Tottenham Hotspur 1. Timeline. 12. Smith Rowe scores from Saka's cutback. 25. Party has a shot well saved. 27. Aubameyang doubles our lead, converting Smith Rowe's cutback. 34. Saka fires home the third inside the area. 79. Son pulls one back for the visitors. 90. Ramsdale makes a great save from Mora. Talking heads. Bukayo Saka. Yesterday at breakfast, we spoke about this. Imagine how it would feel to score in a North London derby. When Emil scored the first goal, I just looked at him and we remembered the conversation. When I scored, he looked at me again and it was just a very, very special feeling for both of us to do it in the stadium as well. It feels very nice to share this moment with him. Mikel Arteta. The way we started the victory... The way we played, the atmosphere that was created today made it such a special day. It's great to have the opportunity to experience something like this. It was probably as good as I've seen this crowd and they stood by us in difficult moments. Not just by us, but by the club and the team. And this is our way to say thank you, as this win is for them. Enjoy it. Facts. This was our 600th Premier League win. Bukayo Saka became the youngest player in Premier League history to score and assist in the North London derby. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored his 50th goal at the Emirates Stadium. Match action. Brighton and Hove Albion versus Arsenal. Nil-nil. Saturday, October 2nd, 2021. Amex Community Stadium. Timeline. 23rd minute. Albamayang heads against the post from Saka's cross. 76 minutes. Smith Rowe's low shot is saved at the near post after a promising counter-attack. 85th minute. Ramsdale palms away March's header. Talking heads. Takahiro Tomiyasu. I'm not happy with the result but I have to think positively about the one point because they controlled the game most of the time. We will take one point. I'm happy about the clean sheet. You have to think positively because in the box I think we won the duels. Only in the box. In other spaces we lost the duel most of the time. We have to improve this. Mikel Arteta I'm never happy with a point, but I don't think we deserved anything more. We got a point because we defended well in the last 15 or 20 metres of the pitch and for the rest I think it was a game that we have to improve in many areas. We felt uncomfortable to break the press and they had sequences of control in the game. But in the end we showed resilience and we have to be happy with the block of games we've played and the results that we got but there are things to improve. Facts This was our fifth nil-nil draw in 65 Premier League games under Mikel Arteta. Brighton's tally of eight home Premier League clean sheets this calendar year 
is exceeded only by Manchester City and Chelsea. We didn't allow a shot on target in the first half, the first time we had done so in the opening 45 minutes of an away Premier League game since December 2019 at Everton. Supporters' Voice The terms local legend and community champion have been used to highlight some incredible people, especially across the last 18 months. But there aren't many more fitting examples than Michael. North London local Michael, who grew up a 20-minute walk from Highbury, has always looked to represent himself and his community as best he can. For the past eight years, Michael has volunteered for North London United in partnership with Arsenal in the community, creating football opportunities for local young people with Down syndrome, as well as arranging support work for days out for young people, including to Arsenal, and coaching at local outreach provisions. I would say supporting Arsenal has been the most rewarding relationship of my life. I've loved the battles against quality teams like Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool and United. It's been fairly even throughout my life as a fan, says Michael, who sees it as his duty to bring in new fans to the club. He singles out two legendary Arsenal figures for a special mention. Ian Wright was the first player that made me feel proud to be an Arsenal fan, he says. But Arsene Wenger coming in, he's called the professor for a reason. He really revolutionised the Premier League and all of football. His ability to bring in talented youngsters and the trust he showed to support his brand of attractive football, it's right that he still gets recognition and admiration now. And one of the first young players who broke through under Wenger is also cited as a role model for Michael. Though he admits seeing Patrick Vieira in the opposition dugout is going to be conflicting for him. But Vieira will always be a legend who loves a win against Tottenham. Speaking of North London, Michael says his work with North London United has been a huge positive in his life. Working with Arsenal in the community has been incredibly positive for me, he says. The impact of the programmes is huge and I get to see the benefits of our joint programme with the Arsenal in the community team every Monday night. Know an Arsenal fan whose story should be told? Perhaps they have gone to great lengths to show their support for the Gunners, battled against difficulties in their lives, or shown great compassion for others. If you think they have a story, we need to hear it. Email us at program at arsenal.co.uk Every supporter featured will receive a unique personalised version of the Matchday programme featuring their story. Teams Teams. For Arsenal, manager Mikel Arteta. Red shirts with white sleeves, white shorts, red and white hoop socks. One Ben Leno, goalkeeper. Three Kieran Tierney. Four Ben White. Five Thomas Partey. Six Gabriel. Seven Bukayo Saka. Eight Martin Odegaard. Nine 
Alexandre Lacazette. 10. Emile Smith Rowe. 14. Pierre Americo Bamiang. 15. Ainsley Maitland Niles. 16. Rob Holding. 17. Cedric Suarez. 18. Takahiro Tomiyasu. 19. Nicolas Pepe. 20. Nuno Tavares. 21. Callum Chambers. 22. Pablo Mari. 23. Albert Sambi Lokonga. 25. Mohamed Elneny. 26. Follerin Balagan. 30. Edian Kitia. 31. Seat Kalasinak. 32. Aaron Bramsdale, goalkeeper. 33. Arthur Okonkwo, goalkeeper. 34. Granite Sharka. 35. Gabriel Martinelli. For Crystal Palace, manager Patrick Vieira. Yellow shirts with red and blue trim. Yellow shorts, yellow socks with red and blue trim. 1. Jack Butland, goalkeeper. 2. Joel Ward. 3. Tyrick Mitchell. 4. Luka Milivojevic. 5. James Tompkins. 6. Mark Cahey. 7. Michael Olise. 8. Cheku Kueti. 9. Jordan Ayu. 10. Eberichi Eze. 11. Wilfried Zaha. 12. Will Hughes. 13. Vincenta Goeta, goalkeeper. 14. Jean-Philippe Mateta. 15. Jeffrey Schloop. 16. Joachim Anderson. 17. Nathaniel Klein. 18. James MacArthur. 19. Remy Matthews. 20. Christian Bantike. 22. Hudsoni Edouard. 23. Connor Gallagher. 34. Martin Kelly. 36. Nathan Ferguson. 40. Scott Banks. 43. Rhys Hannam. 44. Jairo Riedeveld. 46. Robert Street. 49. Jesurin Raksaki. Referee Michael Dean. Assistant referees Edward Smart, Mark Scholes. Fourth official Simon Hooper. VAR official Peter Banks. Additional VAR official Neil Davis. The Arsenal Foundation. Helping young people fulfil their potential through education and sport. No room for racism. Where we belong. New 21 stroke 22 third kit. Available in store and Arsenal Direct. Amazon Original. The Grand Tour presents Lockdown. New special. Watch now. Prime Video. Twenty twenty one to twenty two membership. Red membership. My Arsenal Rewards. 
Priority Ticket Access Junior Gunners 2021-22 Membership Junior Gunners Membership Discounted Tickets Membership Pack Join now Arsenal.com slash membership There is a QR code to be scanned on the print version of the programme. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.